Okay. So technically we're live. We're live, um, baby. We are live. Uh, all right. Well, welcome to Second Nature Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I have a special guest today, Matt Malischuk, with us. How you doing, Matt? Fantastic, brother. Happy to be here. Good, good. That's what I like to hear. Um, Matt reached out to me about a week and a half ago or so, and he listened to my podcast and he related a lot to it. He's been through some of his own struggles. Um, him and I played, we had a brief stint together in Okotoks, probably what, like two, three months or something? Yeah, two, three months. And then, I mean, I think we ended up bumping into each other quite a bit off and yeah. on the next, the following year. But uh, yeah, I think it was only three months we played together. Yeah, so we played together for a little bit, but then, of course, probably saw each other out and about on yeah. the weekends, weeknights, whatever night it was. Um, so I think I want to just start by uh, kind of let's go through um, what kind of happened maybe during while you're playing and uh, maybe afterwards and just kind of how your addiction evolved and then wherever it takes us, we can just go from there. So that works for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, like for sure, prevalent throughout my life, um, multitude of, of difficulties, mental health challenges, but I mean, specifically to, to playing, um, at hockey, like for me, um, I think hockey culture naturally, um, allows drinking to be kind of, uh, an early entrance for everyone. Um, like from the time I remember like 13, 14 Bantam is, is when I think the, the parties really started to become a regular weekend thing. Um, and there's always was a house available or, or someone could get, get a hold of booze and, and it was more just a, a casual, uh, thing that everyone did. Um, and it just, I think progressed and became more of a, um, not an expectation, but a part of the, the culture, I guess, um, you're around it. And I think for me, it was, it was to be a part of the, uh, the cool group or whatever. Um, but I, I really felt like I wanted to always be a part of the team, be a part of the boys and, uh, just wanted to be close to that. And if it was going to a party drinking, I was, I was in, um, and yeah, yeah, sorry, go ahead. It, it's a team bonding thing, right? Like, exactly. Like yeah. you get into it and a couple of people do it and then kind of more and more. And then you get where it's kind of every, every weekend or every night you get a chance to, it's kind of just what you do. You play and then you go party. And oh. uh, I think, yeah, growing up in your, starting in your kind of middle teens, it's easy to get like caught up in that and okay, well. I love the game of hockey, but I also love going out and like you have fun and all that kind of stuff. And you're, you don't really care about anything else that's going to come down the road. Exactly. Um, right. So, so that, so that happened. Right. And then, uh, kind of, how did it evolve throughout that? Cause we, you went and played junior and all that kind of stuff yeah. and just kind of what was the progression there? So when I, when I got to junior, 
I think when I was 17, it, it was really, I quickly started to identify that I was, I was not drinking like everyone else around me. Um, I was a heavy binger. Um, you know, I was always drinking to get as drunk as I possibly could. Um, and I naturally clung to a lot of the older guys I played with, um, like, you know, starting junior at 16 or midget AAA at 16, you're, you're starting to be around older guys, um, especially junior 17, 18, 19, 20. Um, at 17, I found myself regularly drinking with the 20 year olds. Um, and they were doing it more often cause they were men, they were further along in their lives. And, and I think I, I found it exciting that they were doing it more and it was an opportunity for me to be around it more, um, because I, I wanted it more and I, I enjoyed what, what, uh, alcohol really did for me and, and how it made me feel and how it kind of lifted a lot of, uh, my insecurities and anxieties that I, I carried throughout my life. But, uh, like 17 was when it, it started, the doors really open, the floodgates yeah. were opening. Um, and then 18 being legal, not that that stopped me before, <laughs> but uh, yeah, exactly. it, it was just like that much more comfortable and that yeah. much easier on a weeknight to, to go to a bar and, and, um, like go for wings with the guys. Or, um, I even found myself often just just by myself. Um, yeah. and at that point it, I never identified it as a problem or, or anything. I just was wanted to feel good and would kill time, would, would wanted to keep chasing it. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I relate to that big time. It's you start to hang out with older guys and if that's what they're doing, right. Everywhere we go, we want to have that feeling of acceptance. Right. For sure. So it's, especially with those, those older guys and especially in a hockey dressing room. And we were kind of, we kind of played junior right in that range where there was starting to be some changes and like yep. the hazing and all that kind of stuff. So I know for me, I never got it that bad or we like as rookies, we never got it. Like we had to load the bus and do all those things, which is, I think something that the rookies need to do, but, yeah. um, there, but there's other stuff and just to be able to get into that group of the older guys and yeah. especially for someone like myself, like yourself with those insecurities, it's just like, it makes it that much better for us. So if this is kind of what we need to do to get in there, like we're, we're going to go along with it. Right. A hundred percent. And I, I, you hit the nail on the head with the acceptance thing. Cause, uh, I mean, for me, that was something like, I think throughout my whole life, but especially in hockey and being around older guys that I looked up to or, or admired, it was something I deeply, deeply longed for was like acceptance of, of my peers and, and, uh, like strong men around me. Um, yeah. so for sure, like I was in, yeah. it was wasn't a question of, of that. I just wanted to do whatever I needed to do to be a part of it. Yeah. And then unfortunately for people like ourselves who are maybe aware, but most likely are unaware of the necessity that our bodies can create yeah. for the need for alcohol. Right. Yeah. So 
for some people it's okay. It's like, yeah, well, I'll get in there and I'll do it and everything's fine. Yeah. But for people like us, you don't really understand what you're kind of doing and where this is potentially leading. So it kind of is just like, okay, we're living in the moment. We're here and now, but we're not looking to the future consequences behind it all. 100%. And I, it, it was just, it was purely acting on, on a whim all the time. Right. And it was chasing, for me, it was escape, right? It was escape and, and, uh, like self-medicating, self-medicating pain and, and traumas. But at the time, I think 17, 18, it was more escape. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I didn't like how I felt regularly. I was always uncomfortable. I was very insecure. And I had, uh, you know, a giant weight I felt I was carrying around all the time. And this, this pit in, inside of me that I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and I know drinking made me feel good. It gave me a, a, a release and it, it gave me a false sense of, of who I am and, and who I could be. Um, and allowed me to fit into those crowds we, we wanted acceptance from, right? Yeah. So, um, have you, so you say that you didn't know what it was that you're trying to fill. Have you been able to kind of think back on that now that you've had some sobriety and can you, have you been able to understand what that might've been? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I'm really blessed Mike to, to have had the path I've, I've gone down because uh, in that was a lot of difficulty, a lot of tough times, but I've been able to do a lot of healing and a lot of, uh, a lot of work, um, which I needed to. Um, but I, I think for me, I, I always dealt with, uh, a lack of, of sense self-worth, um, yeah. you know, from the time I was a kid and just kind of got worse and worse as I got older and, and had different things happen to me and, and just, just remember feeling like worthless and, and, uh, like less than others, um, like low self-esteem was, was always very prevalent for me. And I think the acceptance thing, right. Um, and I mean, that, that goes into a lot of different aspects where it kind of intertwines in my life, my childhood, family life whatever it may be, but I, I think that constant yearning to, to, uh, you know, want to make people proud, make my family proud, um, fit in with, with the group, the, the guys, um, with girls, um, whatever it may be. But I think ultimately it really was, I needed to accept myself who I am and I needed to, to be okay with that and love myself. And, and I, at that time I just wasn't cause I, whether, you know, it's society and, and learned things throughout life. I, I think I, I identified that how I was feeling, who I was, wasn't really, uh, accepted or wasn't going to get me what I wanted. Um, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, being an emotional, um, highly emotional kid, highly emotional guy, sensitive to, to a lot of things. And, uh, yeah. So, I mean, life hardened me up and I, I kind of yeah. hit all that. Exactly. And 
kind of the world we were living in, in the hockey world, growing up in that. And then especially when you go into play junior, it's kind of, we were taught like man up and that kind yeah, of stuff. And, exactly. Uh, like you're not emotions. What are emotions? What is vulnerability? Right. Yeah. Like everybody's okay. And then you're, you're here, you're here for the team. You're part of the team. What can you do for the team? Right. So there's, there's kind of those pressures that you get put on yourself. And it's, if you're someone who thinks things or overthinks things a lot, yeah. right. Then it's easy to just kind of be like, I can't handle this. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know where to go, but I know that this substance takes all that away. Yes. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the fear too, right? The fear of someone finding out or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you, you say a little too much. And like you said, it's, it's a culture that we grew up in of like alpha male, don't show weakness. And yeah. if you do, you're a pussy. That's the word that was used. And, and the last thing I wanted was any extra attention drawn to me, especially negatively, because you, you, you've seen yourself, like what a, how that stuff can stick with someone and the guys won't let you forget it or yeah. people talk to small world, hockey world. And I, I just wanted to, to fit in, didn't want to draw any extra attention to me. And I wanted to make everyone happy around me. That's really what I, what I wanted. Exactly. Exactly. And like, like I look back on like my playing and as you get older, you, uh, like you do things because other people have done things too. Right. Like I think back on some of the like jokes I made and all that kind of stuff yep. in the dressing room. And like, at the time I knew, I knew I was going through some shit, but it was like, well, it's easier to project onto someone else there's and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a never ending cycle of repetition yeah. of guys come in, they want that acceptance. Then the next, then as they get older, they think they got to turn around and do it to the same to, or do the same thing. Right. So, yeah. so yeah. I've thought back a lot on that kind of stuff and like, I don't let it give me shame about it anymore. Cause I think I'm in a better place now where I can understand that you like you were you, but you weren't quite. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I can relate to that too. And I, I, I look at that too. And I think of like our, our coaches, um, like exactly what you said. It's like, how could I fault them for anything? Cause they're just doing what they learned, what they went through. And, and it's like you said, it's a cycle. And it seems exactly. to just keep coming. And that's why that culture, I, I think is, is very difficult to change because it's just deeply ingrained and it, it, I'm sure it's gotten better. I'm pretty removed from it now, but yeah. all I know is what, what I went through. Right. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. And like, you can, you can look back and like, we all know those guys who, who blame, right blame everybody else and like, yeah. oh, well, this coach didn't like me and that coach didn't like me. And that's why I didn't make that team. And, and like, I could sit here and 
do the same thing for coaches I had. Oh, they didn't want to play me here. I could have been there, but there's, there's no point to it. Right. Like sitting here and blaming others. Like I was the one who was in control of my actions at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. Like nobody literally force fed us beers or whatever it was. Yeah. Right. Like we were the ones who we chose to do it. Maybe we didn't have the best guidance or the best support systems, but at the end of the day, we made the choices for ourselves. And that's, that's something that's really let me let go of a lot of that resentment and regret I had towards hockey. Yeah. Because it's, it's not, it's not worth it to carry it around. Yeah. Right. And for years I was carrying it around and, and it just got worse and worse. And that's kind of where I led into the mental health issues and the yeah. anxiety and all that kind of stuff and the depression. Um, you, you had mentioned in our pre-talk that those were something that you had to deal with too. Um, could you just maybe take us through a little bit of how that evolved and whether that was while you were playing or after, or just kind of anything yeah. in that regard? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I can remember from uh, I think the earliest I remember like depression being involved in my life, I was grade nine. So I think that's 13, um, always was anxious, very anxious kid and very prevalent in my life. But I mean, in hockey, it just, I think hockey really heightened all of that for me. Um, especially the anxiety. Um, I mean, I was walking around with it all day, every day, but the added pressures, I mean, in, in Calgary being you're, you're on a pedestal. If you're on those top teams, even if you're 12, 13 years old, people know about you, you start getting scouted for the Western league. And, um, I think for me, definitely an overthinker for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. so those just constantly were going in my head and that, that desire to, to make everyone around me proud, my family, um, anxiety really picked up for me in my teens and, and really started to become like, a uh, more crippling, um, and really started to manifest itself in, in like it troubles with my image. Um, just simple things like having a real difficult time looking in the mirror and like picking myself apart. Um, yeah. uh, never really being satisfied with, with anything I could do, um, whether it's not being good enough in school, um, not performing on the ice, um, not dressing properly. Like it sounds crazy, but like, that's the type of shit that was going on in my head. Right. Um, and that became like a daily, um, thing that just got worse and worse and worse. And, and along with that was depression. Um, and I would have deep depressive spells where it's, it's difficult to get out of bed. Um, your, your body hurts. I'm achy. I'm like going through, uh, intense sadness. Um, very melancholy. Um, and it's not like, but I think the way that I explain it, cause I think depression can awfully often be confused with, you know, just being sad or whatnot, but it's, it's definitely not that it's not something I choose to feel. It's, it's something like I wake up in the morning and a switch is, is, is off. And there's, there's something in my body that 
everything is down. The moods are down. It's like a rain cloud's following me. It could be sunny, but it is just stuck there. Um, and for me, like, it doesn't matter if I exercise, if, um, I do positive things. It, it was always there. Um, and that really, my depression really escalated, um, throughout my teens and into junior, um, especially when I, when I turned 18, 19 was, was really when things took a, a big turn for myself. Um, things were bad. It just kept getting worse. But, uh, when I had a real bad concussion at, at 19, that kind of ended my hockey career. That's, that's really when things just took a different path. And I, I really was, a not the same, the same person after that. Um, and yeah. Right. So yeah, the shake it off, right. That just, it's not possible when you're, you're in that, right. No. And I, th I think that's, that's something, fortunately, some people don't experience depressive episodes and that kind of stuff. And yeah. I can imagine being one of those people and how hard it can be to yeah. like see somebody who's going through just what you explained, right? Can't get yeah. out of bed, doesn't want to do anything and feel like that's okay. Well, let's go do something. Let's do something about this. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's. That's, that's part of the, what I want to do here and kind of moving forward is like, not just talk about and help people who are going through it, but also maybe help those who can, who don't experience it, understand yeah. it and be able to support people in a better way. Right. Like I'm not a psychiatrist or a counselor yeah. or anything, right. I don't per, per se know the exact reasons, but it's just kind of like creating conversation around that to, so you can see and you can understand what someone else is going through, right? That empathy, yep. compassion, right? Um, so you said, what did you end off with again there? Um, so I, I, my concussions, that, right. concussions. that really like propelled everything. Right. So was that your first kind of major one when you were 19 or? No, I, so I had them, I had them regularly throughout my career from like 14, you know, 15, I had one with like a few documented. And then I think as, as I got like 16, 17, and I've been through that concussion protocol enough, which at the time it really was a joke. It's just yeah. like a, a sheet of paper. Like you can breeze through it. No problem. Um, yeah. I, I really figured that out, that that was a joke and that a lot of my concussions were very routine in terms of how I heal. Um, it's like 30 days, headache for three weeks, and then it would start to subside. I'd still feel groggy, shitty, but I'd get back to things. So I would just shake them up. Um, mm -hmm. and sometimes I wouldn't even tell anyone and I would just yeah. keep playing or, or whatnot. And so there was definitely, a, uh, multiples of them. I don't know how many, I would say probably close to double digits. Um, a couple really bad ones ended up in the hospital knocked out. Um, uh, but yeah. the last one I had, uh, it knocked me to a different planet. I mean, it was, I, I could, I could feel inside of me, like something was wrong and it really, 
it set off like a, I guess it was fear. Like I was actually really scared because I could just feel it. And, and I was having symptoms that I, I hadn't experienced before, like the severity of, of my headaches, of, uh, the nausea, like my balance, um, and even like light sensitivity. I, like, it was just like piercing to, to be in a room with, with certain lights. Um, and then the mood factor was, was off the charts. Like I knew I had depression and wasn't feeling good before that, but it was just like everything overnight came, became a huge, huge issue. Um, so I, I mean, for me, it was, I can definitely admit I was alcoholic before then, um, for sure. But this just really like put me on a rocket ship because now I thought, you know, things were bad. Things got really bad. And I also had this physical pain um, with these headaches that I was experiencing that I started really self-medicating for that. And that's really when drinking became more of a necessity to function, um, versus escape. Um, and it just like became more and more and I couldn't get enough. And, and without it, I was miserable with it. I was miserable, but it, it still was was something to me that was, was relieving me of pain to a certain degree still. Um, so, so you go, you go through that. Do you, did you have any help with like the concussion stuff? Like, were you seeing a doctor or was there anything there? Yeah. So I'm, I was fortunate when I was, when I was in my early teens, we got hooked up in a a study at UFC and there was this concussion specialist. Can't remember the guy's name, but he was a, he was a pretty big deal. He did a lot of work with NHL. And, mm-hmm. and so I went back to him after like two months of just really having a difficult time. And, and it was, it was really, it was really disappointing. Cause it's, it was at that time they still concussions were still this thing that you just filled out a form and it's like, what are your symptoms? Oh, 10 or read this back and forth, memorize this. Um, so I saw him for a week and nothing really came out of it. He got me in some treatments that didn't help. Um, but ultimately after seeing him for a few months and, you know, summer was ending, I wasn't able to work out. I wasn't able to, to train and get ready for the season. And, and honestly, I didn't really care. I was just scared what's going on with me. I, I didn't know what the fuck was, was happening with me. I was too scared to tell anyone, um, because I thought I was getting ready for season. Right. Right. So, right. You think, you think you're going to go back to it. Did. Yeah. When you're going through that and like getting that help with the concussion stuff, did you, did they talk about depression or anxiety or drinking or any of that? No, no, it it was, it was totally like nothing, you know? Yeah. So they're like, just looking at, okay, problem is he's concussed. Yes. Right. And 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 sitting in a dark room. If I hear sitting in a dark room one more fucking time, (laughs) I tell you, like. (laughs) 
Oh God, I know, right? Yeah. Oh, sit in a dark room for what? The next 10 years of my life? Yeah. Um, because that's a good place for a guy who's already crazy up here. Just put yeah, me in a dark yeah. room alone, you know? I'm already got darkness inside of me. I don't need it surrounding me. <laughs> right. So that's, yeah, you can kind of look at that and be like, okay, we're looking at the problem straight on. And yeah. this is where, this is the problem. These are what we think is going to help it. Whereas it's probably so much more of all that other stuff that we've just talked about. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Right? I, 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 like it took me years and lots of work and, and ultimately took sobriety to, to get healing there. But there are so many levels to the brain trauma I had, mm -hmm. like there's the physical pain, there's the cognitive stuff, and then there's the mood stuff. Like mm -hmm. it is like a multi, uh, so many parts, right? Like it's not just taking a pill or getting a treatment for the headaches. Like I really had to, um, do a lot of like cognitive behavioral stuff to rewire, um, so many parts. Like I, I remember I could, I could barely even go into like a Costco or a superstore, um, because I, it would just be so overloading to me and like my, my mind, I would just go blank. Like I wouldn't, there wouldn't be anything there. I'd forget what I came in for. Um, or I'd leave with like two things and I needed 30. Um, yeah. and I just needed to get the hell out of there. Cause I started having like panic and mm -hmm. it was just crazy. Like total overload. Right. You, yeah. Your anxiety would. And I, I remember having those feelings being in spaces, not necessarily when I had like a head injury, but just when I was like in my darkest moments, like get yep. me out of here. I can't be surrounded by people. Yep. hundred percent. And, and like, I, I had concussions in that too. And, and I remember like at the end stages of my drinking and drug use. Yeah. Not being able to remember anything. Yeah. Like I was in school, couldn't try to read nothing's registering. And then like, it was turning into headaches. Like yeah. if I tried to concentrate on things, I would start to get headaches and it was like, there's no point in me studying because nothing is staying in there. Yep. And like, so I, I can relate to you there. Um, what, what was kind of, so you ended up not playing that next season, I'm guessing. Yeah. I, I could, I just physically was in a, a fucking bad place. And, and then meanwhile, with all this concussion stuff I'm dealing with, I mean, my drinking just skyrocketed, right? It was, it was becoming pretty much daily. Um, and yeah, I was in no shape and, and I honestly, I, I knew something was going on in my head. Physically something was wrong, but I was at the point too, where it really felt like a burden to go back to playing hockey because. I needed time to medicate myself to drink. Yeah. It was be, that routine was built up and I was thinking in my head, how am I going to fit hockey into this? Like I can't. Right? right. And, and it was really still, I think I, I had a lot of it hidden at that point mm -hmm. or I thought I did. Um, and I really was self-conscious for people to, to know about it, 
how bad it was, was getting and what I was doing. Um, so I think a part of that too, was like, I don't want anyone, you know, around the rink knowing that this is what I'm doing, or this is who I am. Like that's embarrassing to me at that time, it was embarrassing. Like it, I had a lot of shame regarding right. that. So, yeah. So, so you can't get proper help. So you turn to what does help, which unfortunately is drinking. Right. And then what that turns into is fear. Yes. Right. And then what fear stops us from doing a lot of things, right? It's kind of, I think it's the number one thing out there that's, especially for myself, it's like fear of what other people are think, fear of, can I do this fear, whatever you can relate it to anything. So what kind of, what kind of happened after that and you had that fear and you were drinking what did those next kind of months or years or how, however long what kind of entailed there yeah well I, I loved what you said about fear um first of all because fear for me is is really the root of a lot of my my problems right like I, anxiety to me is just fear of constant fear of unknown and, and whatnot yeah. but yeah like my life really um at that point it was kind of like I went over the cliff, um, once hockey was done for me. And the, the big thing for me is, is I was totally lost in life because up to that point, being someone with, with no self-worth, um, outside of Matt, the hockey player, uh, right. like that was what I built my life around. That was how I, I felt I received love, respect, admiration from friends, family was, was through hockey and hockey performance. That's what was ingrained in me in my life. And, and when I lost the identity of, of Matt, the hockey player, it was really like, holy fuck. Like I was just lost and I was devastated too. I, I really was, I was, I felt a great resentment to the game. Um, how I, how I went out, it was out of my control and it was out of my control, but you know, I probably yeah. could have done a lot more to mitigate things. Um, but yeah, it, it went down a, a deep, dark path of a lot of shame, a lot of regret, a lot of guilt. Um, I felt like I let down, um, you know, my family, um, for, for like, this is it. I had nothing to show for. Um, and they made a lot of sacrifices to, to put me through the game. And, and, uh, I blame myself a lot too, because I, I guess that like self-hatred, um, really developed for me and I felt like worthless. Um, I didn't feel I added any value to life anymore. Um, and those next few years was really just, uh, it was just a lot of escape and, you know, daily drinking and it just kept escalating and escalating more quantity, um, and going further down the scale. Um, but I think what I was, what I wanted to say, um, I'm blanking here. Okay. There was, there was something uh, there. It, it'll come back. Yeah. Yeah, you you wrap so much about so much of your life around Matt the hockey player yeah. and like the hockey player. Yeah. And then it doesn't work out. 
and there's a there's essentially a greed yes factor right like you've done this since you were five four years old and it's like even if even if it wasn't what you should be doing yeah right you're still like well that was me and that's what i was doing and pit that was giving me that was giving me worth maybe not Mm self-worth but it was giving me something to hold on to Mm -hmm. and then as soon as it's gone it's like whoa now what do i do like i remember having days and like moments where i literally thought i don't know anything else yeah i don't know like how am i gonna where am i gonna go get a job what am i gonna do like i had no understanding of like how the world worked because because i was so focused in this and you like you don't realize like well you go and they hire you and they train you and then you do all this stuff but it was like my own mental problems right depression all that kind of stuff but then also mixed in with those thoughts you're kind of like i'm trapped i don't know where to go okay and for me it was okay well here's an offer to go coach a bantam triple a team it's like okay well i always thought maybe i could get into coaching afterwards Mm -hmm. and then you so you move into that and you're just kind of continuing on right with that those same things it's not really bringing you what you want like you think you want it but you don't deep down inside and it's kind of just a continuation but it's because you don't know what else to do right absolutely so so kind of what 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 did you get right into after that like well i was fortunate i had i had a job i was landscaping for peters and Mm -hmm. you know that I really blessed that I, I had that. I didn't really like it. I I didn't really like it at all. Um, but I stuck with it and it was kind of almost like a, a safe place for me because I had such a great relationship with, with Jeff Peters and and he's such an integral part of my life. And I, I mean, really, I look back on it now and it was probably my biggest blessing was, was being under someone who could keep an eye on me, cared about me. Um, but aside from work, like for me, like you just brought up a little inspiration because when I, I really tried to keep hanging around the guys and I tried to stay involved somehow, but for me, that was just going to the parties, the extracurriculars. Right. Um, and. I really started to separate myself from normal drinker versus what I would drink. Um, so I really saw how, what I was bringing, um, was a different level than what everyone was, was at in terms of how regular, how often, and no one wanted to be a part of that. Right. Um, and I started to get really shameful and, and hit it. And I distanced myself entirely after about the first year, I, I really avoided everyone, um, because I was embarrassed and, and I just knew, um, I didn't want to tarnish my image. I don't know why that meant so much to me, but I felt like I wanted to hide it and, and keep it to me. So I began really isolating and and that's when I, I, I did a lot of drinking on my own too. Yeah. 
man, this is, man, it feels like we live the same life, dude. It's crazy. I felt that when I was listening to your podcast. Because, because like that was the exact same things that I felt, right? You, you take away hockey and then the drinking career finally gets to flourish. Yeah. And it gets so over, so overdone and you don't realize like you think everyone's drinking like you do or using like you do or whatever it is, but you have no idea that people shut it down at 1230 or like, oh no, I'm good for the night. Right. Yep. Um, and then exactly like I talk about how those relationships with my closest friends are the ones that are like the most important to me and I'm pushing those people away yeah, because they don't want to deal with any of it. Right. Well, they well, want to. Yep. That. And I mean, for me too, like if anyone was trying to help me or, or trying to get me to stop, I didn't want any of that around. Right. Cause I needed yes. to get what I wanted, what I needed. Mm-hmm. So I was the same, right. I pushed friends away. I pushed especially my family. Right. Yeah. That's when I really distanced myself from them and, and, uh, essentially was alone. Um, yeah, that's where my addiction wants me right alone. Correct. Right. Like, yeah, it wants you all to yourself, all to itself yeah. so that you can continue because it's, it, it, I've, I believe it knows that those other people still care about you and they still love you and they're going to want to end it. Yep. So it's a battle, right? Between your addiction and those people. And it's, it's not something like those, the, your family and friends could look at it and be like, oh, well, he doesn't want to be around us. He doesn't love us. Like, yes. But really it's no, you're taking yourself away from this, from those interactions because you're so you've got so much self-hate and all that kind of stuff because you know what you're doing to yourself and what it's putting into their world. Yep. Right. So you start to isolate, take yourself away so that you don't have to see, or they don't have to see that side of you. Yep. They don't have to see it and they ain't going to fucking stop me. Right. When I'm in that mode, it's like, get out of here because I ain't stopping. Yeah. Right. So, so that goes on for a few years. Yeah. So let's see, 20, 21, 22, 23. Yeah. So good four years of really just being in limbo and just continuing down the decline and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, hitting points of no return in terms of like my usage and, and different experiences I'm putting myself in and, and yeah. like just the consistency, the regularity of it. Um, but I was very highly functioning and I think this is maybe one we differ a little bit. Um, yeah. I was, I don't know how, but I was always able to whatever it was, drink all night, blackout, and just somehow I would wake up. And I would just go to work. Um, it would suck. It would be, you know, horrible. Yeah. But somehow I was able to keep doing it. And 
So I was able to keep a little bit of a allure that everything yeah. was okay. And that really uh, contributed greatly to my denial. Um, right. Because like, look, I'm working, right? Who yeah. cares? I'm drinking every day. I've gained 50 pounds. There's no one's around, right? I'm working. Yeah. I'm making money. I'm good. Um, so I, 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 I've talked about a lot with, with my counselor too. And I think it's a blessing and a curse in a sense, um, because it really probably postponed a lot of things for me because I kept that allure. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. So what, what kind of, I get what you're saying there, right? So you think it was just like me, oh, I'm a binge drinker. Yeah. I don't have a problem, right? Like. If I wake up on that Sunday or that Monday and I drink again to make myself feel good, yep. that's me. That means I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. Right? It, whatever it is, right? Like those little weird things we convince ourselves, which is just like, it, it's like insane people thinking, right? Cause exactly. anyone else would look at it and be like, what the fuck are you justifying? Right. Yeah. But for us, uh, yeah. it's like, yeah, we're good. Totally. Yeah. 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 The, the addictive reasoning, right? Yeah. Like, no, no, I'm, I'm stopping today and I'm going to be sober for three days. So there is no way I have a problem. Although I'm going to tell myself, nah, I'm never going to drink again. That's it. I'm done. Yeah. Cause I feel so bad right now, but then or, two days come along and it's like, well, you know what? We're feeling good. Right. My favorite is, uh, you know, switching from, from whiskey to vodka. Oh, I'm not even drinking with you. Like it's, it's good. <laughs> Meanwhile, I got two bottles of vodka put down. <laughs> At least it's clear. <laughs> yeah. Less calories. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, so what starts to switch? Uh, so what happened was, was really when I was, uh, 22, 23, um, so I was actually in a, a serious relationship with a girl at 21, um, and ended up living with her for about a year, year and a half. And I think that's when things really just like were exposed. Um, you know, she was really privy to, um, what my life looked like cause I was living with her. So she was around it all the time and she was around the, the difficulties I was having and she saw it firsthand. Um. And as things were going down, it kind of came to a culmination where she, um, she left and rightfully so I don't, I don't blame her, but, uh, uh, you know, I came home and everything was gone and, and being like the self-loathing self-pity, uh, point I was at, like, it just really, it just hurt me and devastated me a whole heck of a lot. And at that point I had no accountability to absolutely anyone. It okay. was, it was really just me in my condo and I had work, but I had a lot of free time. And for me, it was like, okay, this is it. Like, um, she left me, you know, all about me. Right. Yeah. never any accountability, but yeah. she doesn't want me anymore. Fuck her. Like poor me. Um, 
I lost my hockey career. I lost this. My family doesn't love me. They're, they don't understand me. I'm not like anyone else. I don't know what the fuck's going on with me. And there was like a eight month window there before I, I had, uh, um, before I got checked into treatment where it was a very dark time and, and very alone. And I started really, um, uh, having like financial damage. Um, my addiction was really manifesting itself in so many different ways. It's just like the drinking was one thing, but then gambling became a thing. And these, these toxic relationships sexually, or, um, just, uh, codependent, um, relationship and yeah. And, and food too. Like I was, I gained like 50 pounds after hockey throughout my early twenties. And I became this just like gross, uh, useless person. And I was miserable and really it was, I had, I'd had like suicidal ideation in my life before. Mm -hmm. Um, but this is when it got really dark for me and it became like a, a legit, legitimate option and a legitimate ultimatum to, to escape this. Cause in my, in my mind, I was drinking was not fun anymore. That was a long, yeah. long past, right? I was yeah. creating more and more wreckage. Um, and it was like, the more I would get, it just wasn't enough. Um, and as I would just keep going down this, this pit and this cycle, um, that option of, of not being here anymore or, or taking my life, however you want to look at it, started to, to become a very regular and almost satisfying thought, um, okay. as, as sick as that sounds, but that is truly what was going on in my head. And, um, you know, as the time went on, I, I had a real dark, dark time, dark moment and, and was fortunate that, uh, it didn't go that way, but, uh, I, I ended up making a phone call, um, right. And, uh, in a deep, dark night where, you know, I, I had made, made plans to, to take care of it, to, to end it, um, and, and formulated a plan, how I was going to do it, what I was going to do, um, which was different than before it went from a yeah. thought to, um, action, right. Yeah. Um, and I was fortunate in that in the midst of all that, I had some pretty divine, um, intervention, what I call it. Um, and I had a pretty sobering moment in, at a, at a moment where I don't think I deserved, um, the clarity I had, um, but I had enough clarity to, to make a phone call and I called, called my mom. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's crazy because. A, she picked up, um, which was a miracle in its own right. Um, yeah. but there was a lot of things going on in our lives where she wasn't in town for a while. The fact that she was in town at that time and she picked up and of course, um, came and got me and, and some things happened that ultimately led me to getting into treatment. Right. And yeah, things happen for a reason, man. Yeah. Right. Um. Thank you for sharing that because that's, that's the kind of stuff that, that people need to hear is, 
no matter how bad or those thoughts that you have, right? And you think that's the good idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I had those two and it's, it's so hard to come back from it or, but luckily you saw that little light and whatever that was, right. That stopped you from doing that. And then you end up calling the, the person who's, who brought you into this world, right. You know, right. And no matter what you've kind of, what your relationship looked like at that point, right. I'm sure she didn't hesitate to come and get you. Right. And that's, that's tough because I know some people don't, might not have that. Yeah. But it's like, that's something that needs to be addressed as well as like those, those hotlines and like people in your life, making sure that you have those systems. Yeah. Um, so that was essentially your rock bottom. For that, for that time. Yeah. For that time. Yeah. 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 And it, it yeah. was, it was, uh, it was a bottom. Yeah. It was yeah. a bottom. And I, I still view it as, uh, you know, having two different trips to, to treatment. I, I still view that time as really my darkest moment, um, yeah. in my life. But I mean, naturally I had a, another progression that took me low, but uh, yeah, yeah, that was a, a horrific time. Let's, let's stay on that, on the topic of the first, yeah, first time though. So you, so you make that call and then you, so I'm guessing your mom picks you up and then you find a treatment center. Yeah. So, so it's your choice, right? You're, you want to go, you want to do it and then. Here's, here's the thing about that is it yeah. really wasn't, I would say my choice. I, okay. I, for the life of me, I think about, I don't think about a lot anymore, but I still am kind of haunted by that night and how I went from this weird clarity to like, holy fuck, my life is out of control. Like I am literally, I look what I'm about to do to myself. Like, this is crazy. Yes. Like, and I, I kid you not, when my mom got there, it was like, I got in the car and gone. I, I don't recall after that, I I went from having this really clear mind and and seeing things. And then it was like blackout mode again. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember the conversation, what happened. Um, but I remember my parents just got on the ball and and rolling. They're like, right. I, they, here's the, here's the number you just need to call and say, you want to be there. And, but I, I didn't want to go. And really when I snapped to it the next day, I was just back doing the same thing. Like I wasn't like, I'm going to, going to go get help. That wasn't in my head, but, uh, ultimately within the next few days, I did make the decision that I'm going to go. And it was yeah. a very naive thinking. Um, mm-hmm. I think at the time I really thought, okay, this is going to get me my relationship back. This is going to fix my life. Yeah. Um, I'm going to come out and be good. Yeah. But it wasn't like a willingly going 
to, to get better. I never felt bad inside of me. Um, it yeah. was to, to get things back and yeah, that's how I looked at it. Yeah. You're, you're looking at the outcomes that could possibly happen instead of what the process is going to be. Yes. And I had no idea. And I was, I was fucking embarrassed. I was, I thought like, yeah. this was the end of my life. Like, yeah. I, I, like this is who the fuck goes to rehab. Like, am I that mm -hmm. big of a loser? Um, right. And that's, that's what was going on in my head. Right. And the shame, the yes. guilt and the anxiety, I was, I was petrified. Right. And yeah, this reminds me of two or three years before I ended up going to treatment when I was essentially in my lowest point was talking to my mom about it. And she knew she was like, I've got this place you could go. Yeah. And I was like, well, I knew deep down that I wasn't ready to stop drinking yet. Yeah. Like I just wasn't, wasn't ready, but I wanted, I wanted to, I thought maybe just talking about it with her and then maybe going through some of the steps to make it seem like I was okay and kind of putting on that mask and pretending yeah. was going to make me, was going to make it all okay. Right. But that's because I wasn't ready. Absolutely. Right. And I think that's a major, major point for a lot of people, people who are in addiction is they've, they need to be ready for themselves, right. For, to go, to make it last, to want to do the work that you do at treatment. And then when you get out and all that kind of stuff, and that doesn't mean you can't do it if you're not at that point when you go. But sometimes yeah. you have some, at some time you have to find that. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Right? It's a, it's a huge, totally different mindset of like what you described versus what I was going in the first time. Um, cause, cause you're right. Like I, I'm a firm believer for like myself, and I think a lot of other addicts, alcoholics that I've met, it's like, you could do whatever the fuck you want, whatever you say, whatever you want, if they are not able to, to find that, that despair, helplessness, whatever it is, or that mm -hmm. fire to, to want it, it it's not going to work. And me, mm -hmm. me in particular, just ain't yeah. going to work. Right. Right. And then there is like, I do want to say that you don't have to hit rock bottom though. Yeah. Right. Like if there's, if there's a way that you can, you can see something like this or someone else or read a book or whatever it is yeah. that can spark that change and stop you beforehand. Yeah. Right. Like that's a possibility too. hundred percent. There's just something that you need to find or look for or be presented with that can make you see the outcomes. And like, for me, it was that class that I ended up being enrolled yeah. in because two years later, here I am. The coaching season stops. I just have school. I've got all this free time. But instead of me framing houses and just going to, going to work and then drinking, this time I'm in a class that's all about health and wellness. Like yeah. that's all it is. So I'm going there and I'm doing the same things outside that class with all that free time. I'm drinking, I'm doing whatever, but then I'm going to that class. And luckily I kept going to that class. Mm -hmm. Because it started to make me see that how much it, it's correlated. And it's like, I know exactly where I'm headed if I keep doing this. Right. 
and that's into that darkness, into that cave. Yeah. Right. So that's where I started to try to tone it down, to just stop, just say no. Yeah. Right. And, uh, or exclude myself, take myself away from situations and then think, okay, I've gone 10, 12 days. I'm good. But then I go out, I try to keep it under control. Doesn't happen. And then that's where it's like, okay, yeah. I've tried this. I've tried that. I'm scared shitless of treatment. I don't know what it is. I don't know who's going to be there. I don't know what I'm going to be when I come out. Yeah. But what does it matter? Because it can't be any worse than this right now. Yeah. Right. Well, well, that's just it. Right. And I, I think it's, it's like you said, if, if someone hears or sees something or whatever it is, but I'm a firm believer, like for me, it's, it's like planting the seed, right? Yes. Like, I don't think any of the, the therapy I've done or help I've received instantly was like, okay, boom. It was always like time would pass and then it would be like a, a light bulb would go off and the session I had three weeks prior, it finally would click in. And then like another three weeks would go by and then the light bulb would go off again. And so like planting that seed, I think is so important. Um, you know, if someone's stuck at it, cause let's face it, if we're in active addiction, like myself, I'm an insane person, hundred percent. This is just not working properly. But if you can get something in there and then when you're in those dark moments and you're feeling a certain way, maybe that little glimmer of light or that word or whatever was said, just kind of triggers something, right? That's how I, I kind of looked at it. Cause I know for me, that's how I received it. Right. Okay, we're back. Um, I realized that I've been recording on the computer mic the whole time. So this quite expensive microphone is just for show, but we're going to keep it here for the remainder, you know, just to make it, make it look professional. Um, so, okay. So we're, we were in treatment. What, what was your first, what were your first couple days like? So first couple of days were, were pretty agonizing. Um, so pretty bad withdrawal. Um, I was just pretty much in bed for three days and was just going through it. Um, and was just really like anxiety was 10 out of 10. Um, depression was 10 out of 10. It was just like, holy fuck. I cannot believe this is where my life has gotten me. Uh, mm -hmm. and just like, like scared too, like, what the fuck is this? And like, um, you know, these people here and, um, yeah. So yeah, it was really just like, I, I don't know. I was just fucking terrified. Right. And then you get, so you, you go through the detox thing and then you get back yeah. into the gen pop. Yes. We, as we joked, you know, called ourselves inmates all the time and whatever. And then what did you kind of, 
what were the first couple of things they had you doing? Like, what was it, what were the other people like? How did that go? Yeah. So it was, it was great. It was actually a smaller group. Um, when I first got there, I think there might've been just eight or nine of us. It was pretty, pretty quiet. And, um, it was, it was very eye-opening for me. Um, the biggest thing I remember was seeing the staff and the bright, vibrant people. And I just remember like the first thing I thought was like, how the fuck are these guys that way with like no drugs or alcohol? Like, I, it blew my mind. I'm like, something's weird here. Um, but they were so amazing and they just like, like, you know, when you know someone who's, yeah. who's truly sober, they have a glow yeah. to them. Yeah. Um, they like have gratitude and, and they just like exude it. Yeah. Um, so for me, that was like weird and. Yeah. I was like, I don't know what's going on with this guy, but I kind of like that. Um, and yeah, and it was just, I think the first two weeks for me was, was really, it took two weeks for me to get over like withdrawal and, and come, come to like the cloudiness fade away and, and really just not think about running away every day and Mm -hmm. planning how, what liquor store I'm going to go to or how I'm going to get the fuck out of there. Um, so really two weeks was a write off for me. Um, and then I start the magic started happening, right? I started to engage. I started to, to really listen and, and hear these things that I'd never heard before, like recovery, sobriety, um, and then learn about, um, myself. Um, right. It was the longest I had been sober and like a long time. Right. And, and be in a, a safe environment where I could really start to, to, to speak on who Matt really is and these giant things that I've hid and, and held on to my whole life. And, and, uh, so it was really like a total eye-opening experience for me. I'd never, I'd never been exposed to to that level of like learning about what's going on with me, why I am this way. And, and, uh, I mean, it was the first time I discovered what anxiety was as, as pathetic yes. as that is. It was 24 years old. I didn't know what anxiety was. And I realized yeah. that's that feeling I've had my whole life. Um, but that's the truth. And yeah. So learning about myself and, and all those different things and, and how to, how to, uh, address the wreckage, um, that we left in our lives and, and how to live properly, um, without drugs and alcohol and, and, uh, yeah. So really just like a lot of learning, which I did not expect. Right. You're in, you're in this dark, you're in this darkness and you see these other people who are like, okay, you guys were once here. How the hell are you the way you are now? Right. Like, how are you the complete opposite? So it's, it starts to have an influence on you, right? Then you start to yeah. start to think, okay, well, maybe there is something here. And then, yes. then the, the processes and the exercises and the community aspect and the talking about it and learning what anxiety is. And yeah. for me, it was like being vulnerable and like allowing yeah. myself to share these things and like 
in a completely different world that we grew up in and that we yeah. were in for so long. Right. Yeah. And it was just such a freeing experience. And yeah. like, and then that other point you made about you're in one place and there's only one focus. Mm -hmm. You're, you're, yes, you're, you're away from the outside world. You're in a safe place, but those distractions you can leave out there and yeah. all that stuff you can leave out there. And you're finally just in a place where you can be yourself. Exactly. Right? And you can learn what things you're holding on to and what fucked you up and all that kind of stuff. And you can, if you look at it the right way, you can come out of there with, instead of that shame and guilt, but the feeling of blessing and like sobriety and all that kind of thing. And Absolutely. I think that's what, that's what those, those people who work there or the people who are sober and happy and all that kind of stuff is they're living the blessing that is sobriety. Yes. Right. They've, they've gone through it. They've been in the dark places. They know what that is, but now they can, they see the other side yeah. and they see how good it can be if you're able to put in work to heal yourself and come out and like, that's the blessing that sobriety is. Totally. Totally. Right? Yeah. And it's, I, the key thing that you said there is safe place and also right. like you're putting a pause on your life. Yeah. You're putting pause on your life because you need to, and yeah. you need like a total reset. Um, like a, I had to relearn how to live life. That's how I look at treatment. It's like a relearning. Yeah, exactly. Like how, how you interact with people, all that kind of everything. Stuff everything right and like that was i think that was the best one of the best parts of it was like you've got nothing else to think about except yep. how you're going to move forward from here yeah and and you said too like you felt comfortable and i know like i felt the same and it was honestly the first time in my life i was in a, a room with people that i felt like at home like i i belonged and mm -hmm. it, it took a few days for sure, yeah. but it was like the things they were saying was what I was feeling. And they're like, oh, you've done this. Yeah, I did that too. Or, you know, I relate to that. I'm like, nobody I know relates to that. Right? Like, yeah. So it was the first time in my life, I felt a sense of, of true belonging for not like in the dressing room, like this is Matt, this is who Matt is. And mm -hmm. This guy is just like me. Yeah. So that was a really like, uh, incredible experience to have that feeling. Right. And like, I think that's, that's something that's, that can scare people away from it is, well, I don't know who's going to be in there. It's like people yeah. just like you, exactly. whatever, whatever walk of life they come from, yeah. like whatever their background is. It's like, you're going to relate because you have the same underlying problem. And, and that's actually one thing that I'm, I'm fascinated with is mm -hmm. through my experience in sobriety and, and treatments and, and meetings or whatever it is, mm -hmm. how I can relate to someone who total different walk of life. He's yeah. an old, old man. Yeah. Um, but this motherfucker will 
speak exactly what I'm feeling. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like it, you can't explain that without feeling it. Right. And I, I will never forget the first time that happened to me in a, in an AA meeting and it just like blew my mind. Right. And that's yeah. when it was like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm where I need to be. Exactly. Right. That, that instant connection where you can be like, okay, I get this guy, this guy gets me. Yep. We can, we can talk about this. Absolutely. And I'm not getting judged. Yep. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're there. And then is this, so once you go for 45 days there, then you get out, is this the period you had mentioned where you go for a year of being kind of the dry drunk or white knuckling it or? It was a, it was a little bit after, um, mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely had a, a few relapses out of treatment quite, quite quickly, like within the first three months, first six okay. months, yeah. I think, uh, I came out like captain recovery and yeah. was doing a million things and, and was like really regimented and, um, but really I went through that phase in treatment. And I got a lot off my chest, mm -hmm. but I was still in the mindset where I would tell you stuff, but I'm not going to tell you that deep, deep, dark stuff. Right. Um, so I still hung on to a little bit of secrets. Right. Um, and I think coming out, I bought into the program, but I still held back just enough because I, I don't think I was ready. Right. Um, and that led to some relapses and it led to a lot of frustration internally because I'm like, why am I not feeling good? Why is my life not falling into place? Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's almost like same, same, but different. I'm not drinking. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I've put a year together after relapsing for probably a year and yes. making not a lot of progress. And then I just white knuckled uh, a good year. And, and it was, I was fucking miserable. Yeah. It was, uh, it was actually awful. Um, because I feel like I had a lot of my symptoms were really manifesting themselves in just different ways. Um, and I just wasn't drinking. Right. Um, and it was frustrating. It was confusing. Um, and yeah, that, that so, was a good yeah. year. So you went to treatment, but you kind of only waded in waist deep. Yes, exactly. You didn't. And instead of going all the way head under, you just kind of walked in, got what you needed to get. Yep. And then you walked out and was like, okay, well, that felt good, but I'm not really quite there yet. Yeah. And, and right. I didn't, I didn't listen. Um, right. Right. And everything those guys told me would happen if I didn't do what I needed to do happened. Yeah. Right. right. The relapses, um, the progressiveness, like you're going to pick up where you left off and mm -hmm. it's going to be very dangerous. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And there, yeah, there's that. I don't, it did the, they talk about the pink cloud. Yeah. Right. So like everything's great and everything's yeah. awesome for the, the short amount of time, whatever it is. Yep. Right. And then something happens and all of a sudden it's gone and you're exactly. like, I'm back into real life. Yep. Right. Exactly. And that's yeah. That's where we differ a little bit because I was so done 
and I was so ready for something else that when I went, it was like, I'm first day. Okay. What do I have to do? Yeah. Like, like I'm cannonballed on deep diving into this lake. Like for sure. Tell me what I need to do. And, um, like obviously it it took some time to get comfortable opening up and all that kind of stuff, but I knew that I was ready. Yeah. So sure. Right. So then you go to for the second time and you say you're, you're scared of going back. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what really happened was after that, that year of, of not drinking, not true sobriety, just not drinking. Um, I, I came to an ultimatum in my head. I'm like, you know, if this is what it is being sober, I'm not doing it because this is just ridiculous. Um, and I decided I was going to go back out, not just hide the relapse, the odd relapse here. It was going to be just, I'm going out. Um, Mm -hmm. but I also created a good, uh, um, justification in my head. Um, because I had, I lost weight. I, you know, I became obsessed with working out and, and which was really just like a obsessive compulsive perfectionism mechanism that I have inside of me. And, um, I'm like, I'm not like those guys. Look at me. I, I don't drink anymore. I've repaired my finances a little bit and lost all its weight. Like I'm, I'm good. Right. So I went back out and I went back out hard. Um, and just like they, they tell you in treatment and, and it's, it's progressive and, and it is, uh, it's only going to get worse. And for me, it, it, it really shocked me how quickly it progressed for me and how quickly I, the wheels fell off the wagon, um, within a matter of, of three months of, of being back into it, I was where I was before, um, in terms of moods, depression, anxiety, but my consumption had skyrocketed. Um, it just, it was insane how much I was putting back and still functioning. Um, it was becoming a very dangerous amount regularly. Um, and then I, I went back to that, that dark place where, where for me, it it involves being alone. I, I cut everyone out again. I isolated and and again, you're back to that, that idea of, um, I don't want to live this life any longer and yeah. looking for a way out. Right. And like the perfect example of you get yourself together and you think you're good and you think it's going to be different. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, and I tried everything. Like I said, I. I didn't drink certain things because that was the old me. So right. I only drank certain things this time. Um, mm-hmm. the justification, the, I only did it on weekends at the start. It's like, okay, it's yeah. only weekends, right? I'm not drinking yeah. every day like I was before, but it progressed very quickly. And the destruction, um, that I caused in my life was, was much, much more this time. Um, yeah. and, and yeah, it became a conversation because my parents would see it. They started to see the signs and, um, they really tried to intervene and, and were asking questions and started bringing up, you know, going back to treatment and, and, uh, 
and I didn't want any, any of it. Yeah. I didn't want any of it. I wasn't going to be a two-time rehab champ. Um, and yeah, I was just, I didn't want anyone stopping me. Right. Um, you think, yeah, you, I mean, I, I remember doing the same things, right? You just, okay, I've got it together this time. Yep. It's not going to get a hold of me. Right. And then, but the ones who are closest to you, they know. Yep. Right. And they, they know you're trying to fool yourself. Yeah. But it's, it's so easy to try and fool yourself or think you're fooling yourself. But as soon as someone close to you, who knows you, like they're going to see it instantly. Right. hundred percent. And, and, right. and I think too, like, it's one thing I'll say that I think is really important. Um, I genuinely believed I had it beat. Like it wasn't like a little bit. It wasn't yeah. like, like you're, yeah, we're fooling ourselves. But if you put me on a polygraph test, I 100% would have passed. I got it under control. And I think that's like the, the cutting baffling side of this is, you know, I had myself fooled yeah. and the addiction just, you know, it had me, it fucking yeah. had me. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. It's, it, it reached the top of the mountain. Yep. It had yet. And thinking that you can continue and nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Right. Yep. And I think that's, that's, that's something that is a big thing with a lot of people is, oh no, I'm okay. I know. Like people who they kind of have a little idea that, okay, maybe that I do have a little bit of an issue, but maybe I just need to take a time off. But then it's just keeps repeating the cycle over and over again. Right. Absolutely. Like, oh, I take, take a week off and I feel good. And then I do it and then I feel bad. And then I yep. take, okay, maybe it's three months. It's like, that's the hardest thing is to just understand that the problem is the substance. Yeah. Right. You, you can't, you can't make any progress until you take the substance away. hundred percent. As long as that substance is involved, your, your mechanism up here is all fucked up. Right. Um, right. And like, I think, like I said, you can plant those seeds, but yeah, without removing that, I, I, I don't set a chance. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I learned too is through my trials and errors was that's that's not going to happen. It's okay. I tried, I got to get rid of this thing. And how am I going to do yeah. that? I need to take myself away yeah. and solve this, like yeah. get, ask for help. I think that's yeah. the biggest thing is that asking for help and getting help from professionals and people who know what they're doing. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's the professionals. Um, right. I'm a big believer in, you know, you need to talk to people who know what they're doing and are around it because yeah. they see it all the time. Um, and like our stories are all unique and different, but really at our course, I, it's a lot of the same parallels, right? Whether it's the habits, the rituals, the traumas, how we go about medicating that. So it's super important. Yeah. Okay. So, so you get over that fear of the two time champ. 
Well, I kind of got, I kind of got forced to get a little forced here. Forced to do? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, uh, I started out with some health issues. Um, I actually went into, uh, a couple withdrawal seizures, um, that put okay. me in the hospital. Um, so that was really where, where it got to for me. Um, it was like, I was physically dependent and, and my body had, I was powerless. I was helpless, right? Like I had no control over what my body was doing. It was just, that was it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I reached, a a new level of, of despair, um, and helplessness. And it was the first time for me that, that invincibility cloak I'd been wearing, um, you know, being so highly functioning and able to, to keep going and going, um, yeah. it was gone. And it was very clear to me that it was, it was off. Um, yeah. and it was, it was, it was, uh, a new feeling for me that, that level of helplessness, um, there. So that kind of was when I. I told my mom what was going on and how bad it was and what was yeah. going on with my health there. And, uh, I was fortunate enough that I was willing to go back at that point. Right. So what was your mindset like the second time? Well, this time Browner, um, <laughs> I, I felt, I honestly was, uh, I was really scared. And that feeling of helplessness, despair had finally sunk in for me. And mm -hmm. I, I was, I was someone who really did a lot of research around addiction and I, I took psychology classes. So I, I actually had an idea of what was going on with me and I'd reached this, this new point of no going back and like, how far yeah. can I keep pushing that scale? Right. Well, you know, withdrawal seizures, like that's how you fucking die. And yeah. I'm like, where, where's this going to end? Right. And. Um, it just started to sink in for me and I, I was genuinely scared because I, at, at that time, I, I started to sink in that I, I had no control over this. Um, and this was like, I am going to be the reason I'm, I, I die. Like I'm going to yeah. put enough in me and I can't control it. And that's it for me. And it started to really sink in and it scared me and, uh, I started thinking about how that would affect, you know, my family and, and how the, I, I started to expose that selfishness and self-centeredness that I, I didn't want to acknowledge. And yes. so I went into treatment this time and I was like, look, I know nothing, take my hand and walk me through it and tell me what I need to do. And I'm going to do it because Beautiful. I'm, I'm fucking terrified of what happened to me and where I'm going. And I, I am sick of feeling this way. Um, so yeah, just guide me through, I I'll do whatever you say. And, and that was the mindset. What day was that? Uh, well, again, it was about two weeks for me to really clear up again. Um, okay. it was, it just yeah, worked yeah. out that way, but I definitely say like within few four or five days i've still yeah. had that mindset like i am i'm not here to fuck around like i need help i need it bad like yeah sorry guys i know you're here and i want you to do well but i need help yeah um good so yeah it was pretty early what 
what day, what's your sobriety date? So I'm a, uh, two years, four months. Two years, four months? Yeah. August 10th. August 10th. Okay. Yeah. So that was 2020. 2020. No, 2020. 2021. 2021? Yeah. Okay. Is that my math right on that? I'm I think it was much. 2021. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not much better. <laughs> <laughs> Couple hockey guys, too many conkies and too many beverages trying yeah. to do math. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, okay. So that, and you've been sober since. Correct. Yeah. Right. And so this, this second time you, you, you tried it once, you got something out of it, you went back, but then this second time, right. You didn't give up. You didn't quit. You went back and now yeah. this time lasted. So what? What do you think was the biggest, biggest thing that made this time stick? I know you talked about yeah. some of those, like, was there anything that you went through in treatment the second time that you were, did you open up that last yeah. little bit? I, I think it was, uh, I, I look at life now and I like, I feel like the first trip was such a blessing because mm -hmm. I, I learned so much and, and I'm actually very grateful that I, I did go back out and, yeah. um, for me, it was surrender. I had to surrender that, you know, this is who I am. This mm -hmm. is a big problem. So with surrender, acceptance, you know, um, yeah. understanding that I'm just this way. And if I want to figure out how to live a happy, healthy life, I need to listen to the people that have done it, are professionals and I need to find something that works for me. It's, uh, but the surrender thing was, was huge because up to that point, I, I still had my will in my hands and, and, uh, ego was involved, but yes. I just was, I was desperate. Right. And you give in and they, sometimes it's referred to like, there's the higher power. And that kind of stuff. And that higher power was something that took me a while to figure out. Like, yeah. like, cause I was never really a religious person before. If anything, I thought like, well, why would, what is like, what, how do you believe this stuff? But yeah. you go in there and you, you surrender yourself to it and you just understand that maybe there is something else out there that is in charge. It doesn't need to be a God or whatever it is, but yeah. It just lets you have another level of feeling that freedom from like, it's all your fault. Yeah. And, or even like the, for me, I'm not in control, right? Like, yeah, period. It's just like, what's going to be is what's going to be. It's, it's up to me to make sure that, um, for, for me, like I believe in, I'm trying to live by God's will. Um, yeah. not mine. I know where mine gets me, right? Like yeah. I get, I get loaded cause I want things my way and they were, they yeah. won't go my way. Cause that's life. Um, yeah. but yeah, like I, I became quite spiritual and like you, I, I had no religious history, yeah. never understood it, but I did have these profound moments in my life that I started to look at and I'm like, am I really that? is it really that big of a coincidence that these things all lined up or that I'm still here or that I survived this and, and made it through that? Yeah. I don't know. Right. 
but just working at it and consistency working at it and working to deepen that connection has been right. huge for me. Right. And so, yeah. and like it, it can be whatever for anybody, right? Absolutely. Like that was, like, I think I talk about it where I'm like, all right, I'll go to this place mall, but I don't want to come out being a Bible thumper. Yeah. Right. Like, but I also had no, like, I understand what religion is based on now. It's a set of principles and guidelines that you live yep. by in order to try to live life correctly. Right. So now myself, I just kind of like, I don't, I haven't, I'm not, I don't worship any God or anything like that, but it's just like the simple fact in knowing that I think there is something out there yep. and things happen for a reason. Yep. And if you, you put your mind towards positive, a positive life path that it's going to benefit you, right? Yeah, for sure. And like, like, so that's, I think that's the spirituality. Like people still get weirded out by that word sometimes. Yeah. But it doesn't have to. Like it can be whatever you want it to be. 100%. Right? 100%. I, I look at it just as like deepening my connection with myself and, you know, my mind, body, spirit, but like you said, it can be anything. I think it's more the understanding that it's something. Yeah. Right. And, um, I just submitted to that idea and every day just focused on it every yeah. single day. Like I'm not in charge. There's something out there. And yeah. over time, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just life got better and yeah. things just started coming my way. And, and I really beget believe that's where the healing really started for me because I just yeah. felt like this weight was lifted. Right. Right. So, so that's the beginning. And then we get out and now we've got two plus years of recovery and what, what have you kind of been doing and how, where are you now? And what are some things that you keep, uh, keep doing to keep that positivity going? Yeah, for sure. Well, it, it's, I, I think the thing is important to note is like treatment is great and it's a, it's a, it can be a scary place to go, but it's also a, a very safe place. And, mm -hmm. um, it's almost in my opinion, uh, it sounds a little weird, but it's, it's the easy part of recovery yes. because when you get out, you know, you're right back. If you go back to where you were before, you're right back where. You know, the liquor store you used to go to is right around the corner. The bar you drive by, you can place a thousand memories to it. Um, yeah. the people you bump into, um, there's so many uncontrollables of life and you've got to be prepared and willing to navigate that when it comes. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, like having a solid routine and having things in place. I had a very good idea what I needed to do. And, and, and for me, I had to really buckle down and this was what I was doing, going to these meetings. I was going to work. I was yeah. working on myself and I was coming home. I wasn't going out. I wasn't, I couldn't be in a restaurant. I couldn't be near a bar. That was me. I, I knew I yeah. needed distance. I had that distance and 
really dedicate myself to what I was told and what I needed to do. And I did that for, you know, eight months and it just, life just became really, really enjoyable. And I started having opportunities come to me that I, I never thought I'd be doing, um, changing my job, um, being around healthier people. Um, and, and yeah, like that was it. I knew one thing for sure. I had to figure out a way to be comfortable in a restaurant, in a bar, in a lounge, a, a nightclub. And that was big for me because I didn't think I'd, I'd be okay with being the person who couldn't go to that because it, it ruled me. Right. Yeah. Um, and slowly I started to, you know, go to these places, but have a plan, Yeah, have a plan. And, and I'm not going to go to, uh, I'm not going to go out if I have a bad week and yeah. things are going on in my life. It's just not a good idea, period. But if I'm good and I'm taking care of myself and I can go and I'm, I'm fine. Right. It's good. I'm not going to drink. I don't need to. Right. Um, and yeah, so. So you, you came out with a plan and that is a big part of treatment is recovery planning that you figure out. They don't just kick you out the door. They're like, okay, where are you going? What are you doing? Yeah. Um, and I, so that was my thing was I had that inner competitiveness. Like I was like, okay, I've gone and I've done this and I've shown my family and my friends that I'm serious about it. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to make sure that I continue this. Like, I don't want, I don't want to go back and, oh, well, he's still the same. It's like, no, I have changed and we can change. So like, that was, that was a big motivating factor behind me and when I got out and, um, and the biggest thing I thought was I didn't want to give it any more time. Like it had taken so much time away yeah. from my life. So my biggest thing was I was going to find something that I can put that time into yeah. and stay focused like that. And I also need to understand that we live in a world surrounded by alcohol, like you talked about restaurants, yeah. bars, and I don't want to not be able to go and do things because it's there. Yeah. And like for some people, they might think like, just going to dinner and not having a drink. It's like, you don't, you don't really understand the level of how hard that was. Right. Like to go to a pub and just have a Coke, I would be like, why am I here? Right. hundred percent. So it's like, those are the things that you need to, I need, I needed to understand for myself. And like, I saw it as like a challenge, like, Mm -hmm. Is it the healthiest way? Were they very skeptical when I was in treatment and I was telling them that this was the route I was going to take? Yeah. Of course they were. But like, as I was able to explain myself and talk about it, they're like, okay, well, if this is going to be the best for you, then I think that is a good way for you to do it. Yeah. Right. And this is exactly two different people who have related to a lot of the same things, but the solution is different, right? 
And like, that's, that's one of the big things is like each person, even though they've gone through a lot of the same stuff, have a lot of the same things, they might have a different solution. So like, that's one thing I want people to know is you might need help finding it, but there is a solution that'll work for you. Absolutely. I, I'm a big believer in what you just said. I think that there is no one direction for recovery. I think it's finding what works best for you. And I, right. I think whatever works, works, stick to exactly. it. Exactly. But it's gotta exactly. be something, right? You gotta have, yeah. you gotta have a plan, I think is the big thing. And you gotta have, you know, a team or, or, uh, an outlet when things are going wrong or you have things mm -hmm. come up, you got to know how to deal with it because yeah. what I've learned is they're going to keep coming up. It's, mm -hmm. it's just a matter of ma matter of managing and making sure I'm taking care of myself and yeah. doing the right thing. So that when they do come up, it's like, oh, this is, I know what this is. I know how to deal with that. It's good. Right. Go away now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it, cause yeah. it, it, and I remember thinking like, I was going to be this healed, changed person, but that's not the case. It's like healing for me has been a journey and it's like, yeah. I'm still a work in progress and I have to constantly keep, keep after it. Yeah. And I think that's one of the blessings is I come out of there and I'm like, there is so much that I can still learn and still yeah. absorb and still figure out. And it's yeah. like you go through these chapters in life and maybe they chip a little bit off of you. Maybe they add to you, but it's like, that's one thing that I've really absorbed is like moving forward. Like there's never a time where you're not going to be able to learn something from someone, whether it is good or bad. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's one of the other blessings that you can see that. And it's not, it's not, oh, well, so-and-so is doing this over that and that's affecting me. And, you know, he, why are they doing this this way? And it's like focusing, control what you can control. Yeah. Right. And yeah. if that's controlling the situations that you put yourself in at the start, then that's what you do. Mm -hmm. If it's controlling whether you'll read the news, because that might send you into a spin, right? Yeah. It's all that kind of stuff that you need to just understand is, Okay, I'm going to control what I can control and I'm going to do what is best for me. Yeah. It's you're selfish in your addiction, but I also find you need to be a little bit selfish in your recovery. Have to be. Right. Have to and, be. And that was, that was something that I found was like some few of the people are like, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to help other people and I'm going to do all this and I'm going to do all that and I'm going to. And I was just like, I, was, I looked at them. Yes, this is a judgment, but I looked at them and I was like, I'm worried about you because I think you need to think about yourself and get yep. yourself figured out before you go on to that next thing. And that's kind of what I talk about at the start of my podcast is like, I told myself five years, I said, I'm not gonna try and help and fix. So I shouldn't say not going to not, but I know that I need to get myself together yeah. for five years. Right. And I think that might be, especially like in the social media world and all that kind of stuff, you see all these other people like do these five things and blah, blah, blah. 
it's like, okay, but we need to get ourselves right. Yeah. And like, I'm not sitting here saying I'm perfect or anything. You can ask my wife, she's like, she, she'll pick me apart on certain things. I get you. Like, yeah. But it's like, worry about yourself first, and then you can go out and help others. And I think that's kind of what we talked about too, is you want to start to help those other people, right? Absolutely. And, yeah. and you don't want to hide behind it, right? There's nothing to hide from, right? It's truth. Sure. Is it stigmatized a little bit still? Yes. But now you're in a good spot and you can go out there and we can have this conversation and we can hopefully reach other people who might be somewhere along that journey that we've just talked about. Yep. Right. There's, there's so much truth to, to taking care of yourself, making sure yourself is good and in sobriety, because I think I'm one of those people for sure. Like I love to help people. And I was someone who my whole life yeah. gave everything I could to everyone else. And I never gave it to myself. Right. right. And I, I, rec I was fortunate. I recognize that in early sobriety, because when you do get yourself taken care of and you get time and you, you learn about yourself, get better. It's like, well, once your cup is filled, everything else can go to everyone else and you're good. You have the energy to do it. And it's all just unconditional, great stuff to go around. Right. Yeah. But if I'm, it's easy for me to just give to others and not look inside. You got to go inside first, do that shit or else it's just going to get put on the back burner. Exactly. Exactly. So you're living in Florida now. Yes, brother. You're living in Florida. You're doing real estate and yeah. managing. How's that going? It's going really well. It's, it's, I, I still have to pinch myself at times browner, like where I am and, and what I'm doing is, is just like so far from anything I thought I was, I was capable of, or, or yeah. could have like envisioned for myself. And, um, it's, it's really cool. Like trying to build a, a business and, in, in real estate, it, the market's really exciting here. And, and I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out where I fit into things and, and navigating that and, and, uh, and managing at, at Lululemon, that was, Lululemon's been a blessing for me. Um, being able to work there and the experience I've had has just been uh, like more than I ever could have bargained, bargained for. Um, but like being social every day, being forced yeah. to be social every day was so, it, it was huge for me in, yeah. in early recovery. And yeah, it's turned me into a, uh, introverted extrovert like i i right. find i'm charged up by by people now and yeah. it's wild because because a couple of years ago it would have just been um way too much for me to even entertain um you know being social sober and and being able yeah. to to give give what i can to people right right like you said man your cup is full Exactly. So you can start to give it out to other people. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're about an hour and 50 minutes into this. Um, is there anything, I think we covered the majority of the topics that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. I think is that went really well, man. If there's anything more you want to touch on, I'm free to free game. Yeah, but... 
is there is there kind of a last last little message that you kind of want to give out there i think the message i always i always try to try to convey is you know just the importance in general to be to lead with kindness to people um it, it's just such a you never know what someone is going through and i can honestly speak from being on the the dark side of things and and being so lonely and have all these things going on in my head and my body and these chemicals in me and and i remember a few times it didn't happen often but i remember the impact that amidst all the shit going on here someone took time to to just sit and talk with me or asked me how I was doing, what was going on. And it was random people, but it just took my mind off it for a second. Right. And if you can just be kind to people and lead with curiosity instead of judgment, um, I, I just think that's so important. And if anyone, you know, is struggling, uh, there's ways to get help and the, it might not feel like it, but it can get better. That's, that's the message I would always want to, want to portray and just keep fighting. And, and, uh, there's other people like you, like us. Exactly. We're, we're not that uncommon. Right. All right, man. Well, that's a great way to end it. Um, thank you very much for doing this, for reaching out. Um, I know I, I asked for some people if they were out there to reach out so we could do and have a conversation like this. And if this conversation helped you at all, like I'd love to hear from you and I want to do more of this, talk to more people, learn about it. Maddie helped me out here and, uh, I think you guys can too. So with that being said, feel free to reach out, whether that's Instagram, email, whatever it is, right? Don't be scared, even though I know you have that fear, right? This was a great chat. It's been great to catch up with you again, mm -hmm. right? We haven't seen each other for 10 plus years, probably. Too long. And we started talking the other day, like it was two weeks, right? And yeah. if I know you're not, that's totally cool too, but. We want to, I want to keep growing this thing and building this thing and talk to as many people as I can and go from there. So once again, thanks, Matt.